Yo, is the mic on mic? It's in that mic on mic And pour us another one Let's do it right though, mic We feeling nice though, mic Gather round, gather round It's in that mic on mic It's in that mic on mic Yeah, Garage drinks with mic What's up, Tui? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Welcome to my garage. Happy to be here. Thank you. Sorry, guys. I'll get my phone in here. Oh, my God. We just started. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you start in? Let's another retake What's up, Tui? <laughs> Cheers. Welcome to my garage. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I apologize. I should say... Welcome, Dr. Tui Matela Dokati. <laughs> oh, yeah, you should. <laughs> I should. <laughs> Does that still feel strange? Oh, absolutely. I don't use that at all, really. Yeah, right. Mm. Is it Dokati? Dokati. Dokati, yeah. Dokherty. It sounds like a K. It's cool. Yeah. It's a pretty cool name. Um, so, you are a doctor now, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, describe to me, please, what your doctorate is in. Uh, so... It's at the School of Communication Studies at AUT. That's where I studied it. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. But it's in Pacific Island, Island Women's. Uh, yeah, so I was exploring the relationship between creative practice and ethnic identity for Māori and Pacific female artists. Mm. Yeah. Why did you choose that? Um... Something that you're quite interested in? Yeah, so lots of reasons, lots of reasons. Yeah. Um, you can look at it from the identity side, like uh, trying to understand who I am as a Māori, Tongan, Pākehā has always been an interesting journey. And yes. so um, that definitely influenced part of the topic. Yes. Um, and then the creative side is that I've always been really creative. Right. Um, like writing poetry since I was seven years old and then playwriting in high school. And um, so wanting to use creativity somehow also, you know, like that all just kind of merged together to create yeah, that topic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you know when you started studying, like originally, you know, once you first entered university, that you would end up doing a doctorate? Oh, not at all. Yeah. No, so um, straight out of high school, I enrolled into a Bachelor of Arts at Auckland Uni. Yes. And that was just a, didn't know anything about uni, didn't know what to do after high school. Right. Um, and at that point, there's no way I would have thought I would do a PhD. Like that just wasn't even something I knew about. Right. You know, yeah. Okay. I've started us like where you've got your doctorate. Yeah. But I'm going to take us all the way back to the beginning. Okay. Okay. Um, so you've just told me that you are Tongan Māori Pākehā. Uh, what's your Māori tribe and what's your, where do you come from in Tonga? Uh, so my dad's from a village called Fu'oi and my mum's from Kaio. Up north. Yes, um, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, Ngāpahi, Ngāti Kahuki, Whangaroa. Yeah. And through my mum, my granddad, I think, was Scottish. Right. Yeah. Right. 
And you were born and raised here in South Auckland? Yeah. Yeah, so I was uh, from Monaco, I think. I started primary school at Woody Central and then moved to Papakura when I was about nine and stayed right. there until, until I was an adult and I moved out of home. Right. Um, your childhood growing up, um, so you grew up with uh, Tongan dad and Māori mum and a whole lot of brothers. Oh, yeah, three brothers. What was that like? Um, like, were you the princess? <laughs> <laughs> you know I was. <laughs> of course I was. Of course I was spoiled. <laughs> um, the, the, so you know how, how Pacific dads like to teach <laughs> or discipline their children. Right. I never, ever, ever was disciplined in the right. way that my brothers were disciplined. Physically. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think the most I ever got was like a flick on the ear. But right. it was really hard. And <laughs> I, 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 to this day, I'm like, that was really sore, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that was the extent of it. Yeah. And um, I think I had been playing with matches. So, you know, it was well-deserved. So well-deserved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, you grew up, was it mainly, did you mainly grow up in Papakura or was it a different part of South Auckland? Mm, mainly Papakura, yeah. So that was from like year six until year 13. And then I don't think I moved out of home until I was 20, 21. Sure. Um, at school, were you, did you always have quite a passion for being an academic? I was always really good at school. Like, right. I don't know. I mean, my, my parents are very smart, obviously. Yeah. So it comes from there. But yeah. right from primary school, I thrived within that Western uh, education framework. Right. So I responded well to, you know, like I sought the teacher's praise. And so I behaved because I wanted to get praised. And, and then academically as well, it wasn't difficult. Yeah. Mm. And so you just started to flourish. Yeah. And I had teachers at different points that I was their pet. Okay. And I think that helped as well to be like given that real focused praise and positive attention and to be put on this pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just creates this kind of pattern of achievement. You know, you're like... I like the attention, the positive attention, and therefore I keep trying to achieve. And, right. And then on that, you know, like I see other people's experience where it's the opposite of that, where it's that pattern of discipline almost. Where, yes, yeah. Well, it yeah. has to be quite self-disciplined to be able to get a doctorate, right? Mm, yeah. You have, to, <laughs> you have to like a reading. Right, <laughs> right. Pretty much, I think. And not give up on like, a project. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, are any of your other brothers um, into academics at all, or is it just you? Uh, my oldest brother was really um, good in high school as well. Like he he always excelled academically. I think he got like ducks in primary school, which I never got. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, and all throughout high school, good grades. But he was, like, maths. Like, he was really good at maths. Yeah. And then I kind of came, and I was, like, the English side. Okay. Yeah. 
more the arts yeah more the arts yeah 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 definitely it was it was english for a long time until i discovered drama yeah and then okay. it became drama and english mm. yeah when you're growing up um firstly i should say um you probably know this as well, but Tongans have quite a high percentage. They do, of, per capita. Um, per like, capita of, of PhDs. Yeah. However, most of those doctorates do not, of course, live in Tonga. They're around the world. Mm. Um, but was there much pressure from home for you to like always perform academically? Uh, no, like... You wanted to. I wanted to. Mm. And I think, like, looking at it as a parent now, you know, trying to think about how I was as a child to raise, I was a bit of a perfectionist. And so I kind of pushed myself and they came along for the ride. Like, definitely the messaging was, you know, it's important. School's important. Right. Definitely. Um, but not that, like... Never anything I, I that didn't, was pushed on you. No, right? I was never pressured. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I really liked school. <laughs> I'm like a real okay. nerd. No, but that's yeah. cool though. That's cool. Everyone's different. Yeah. You know, I think some people sometimes enjoy it more than other people. Um, I think if you have like the personality and the capability to uh, achieve some kind of success within that mainstream education framework, then you will enjoy it. But if you don't, then it's, you know, like a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you're at high school, you said you started to get more into the arts mm. in high school. Uh, what years were that? And was it specifically just drama? Uh, so straight from year nine, I, start, I, I did drama and I just loved it. But um, from like the age of, I'd say like seven, I think, I'd been writing mm. poems <laughs> because I read this book uh, the Poetry Girl by Beverly Dunlop okay. it was, I think, my, my first novel that I'd read. And I kind of remember this story. that She was like a country girl and she wrote little poems. But that really shaped um, my kind of creative outlet. Right, right. And so from that stage... This one book? One book. Yeah, crazy. And I read her other books and none of them like hit me as much as that one. <clears throat> but... um. From that age, I was writing poems and like diaries nonstop. Yeah, really terrible poems <laughs> that like, <laughs> you know, the, the real traditional rhyme scheme of like A, B, A, B, yeah. It was just terrible. But I don't think it's terrible because you are where you are now. And oh, that's yeah, a, yeah, such yeah. a great starting point. Well, yeah, totally. And I mean, what it, I think what that did was um, instill a kind of independent, uh, spirit as well because poetry's you know independent right so i would like sit by myself and write poems you know nobody had to tell me to write a poem i just like wanted to do it and read i was a prolific reader from a really young age sure and growing up at that age as well who were your sort of role models that you looked up to um my brothers i think definitely my oldest brother um yeah, yeah, totally. I used to always, I kind of unconsciously followed in his academic footsteps, I think. I'm not right. sure. Yeah, but I just, he achieved academically and I just followed without thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and my parents absolutely yeah and then like the teachers that I became their pets they've <laughs> um they but they also provided a really positive mirror yes. of like to, to measure myself by I guess like you know to see myself as a um as a success within school through yeah. their eyes yeah. yeah did you feel yourself you were a success at that age um yeah yeah but I was I, I also had like real um uh like I'm really hard on myself I have really high expectations and I've always had really high expectations of myself sure you and are so your own times, we are our own uh, yeah, yeah. right yeah totally Right. Yeah. So at times that would um, be difficult, but but I did. I I was cognizant of the achievements that I was making along the way. Right. Yeah, and I did celebrate them and enjoy them absolutely. Yeah. So that's um, through high school, and when you were nearing towards the end of your high school years, what were your plans? Oh, I I. I wanted to pursue creative writing, but I didn't know how. And so in, yeah, in high school, really got into drama and playwriting. That was from like my year 10 drama teacher. I think we'd been doing improv yes. in class and I was good at it. And um, she just pulled me aside at the end of one class and she said, oh, Toy, why don't you think about writing a play for the junior production? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And so <laughs> I went to the library, like, every afternoon for however long and got out all these books, like, plays. And you wrote a play? And <laughs> I wrote a play. How old are you at this time? 14. Wow. Yeah, yeah. How long was the play? It was, like, 60 pages. <laughs> okay, <laughs> It was, like, all a right. full-length play. And it had, like... Wow. And monologue in it because at that time I was really into Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> of course, as you were, as you do when you're 14 years old. And this is at uh, Roseville College yeah. in Papakura. Yeah. And then that play was never produced, but then um, <laughs> that play that that 14 year old didn't that wrote. But didn't the school put it up? No. Not that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but then it was entered into the. Uh, Play markets, national young playwrights, or sure. something. Yeah. And um, I like I was like one of six that won. Okay. Yeah. So that was cool, and that meant flying to Christchurch, I think, on my own. Which, when I think about it now, is crazy. And staying in like a hostel there and workshopping the play with um, drama students, like drama. This is when you were fourteen year old. When I was fourteen years old. Wow. Yeah, like uni drama students wow yeah it was cool yeah it was really cool and then that kind of started that um fire I guess of playwriting and enjoying creating this story like a visual story I guess which playwriting and screenwriting script writing is different to novel writing in that way Mm. and that you're I think I'm not sure. I've never written a novel yet. Um, yeah, I don't know. But dialogue, I, was, I loved. I loved writing dialogue. I yeah. loved writing um, scenes between people, right. drama between people. Loved yeah. that. Loved that. 
so my my Shakespearean play was like you know unrequited love uh, that's what it was called unrequited to your heart <laughs> so <laughs> cheesy there yeah that's pretty cool um so did you find your use your writing as like a form of expressing yourself uh absolutely oh uh, quite satisfying yeah, yeah yeah i definitely wrote more as a teenager because i had a lot more feelings <laughs> Okay, yeah. But, um, and there were all my, a lot of my stuff was about love because I was always in love as a teenager. Right. Crushes galore. Galore. Right. Nothing wrong with that. It's probably pretty normal. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think so. So that's in your high school years. And then, so you decided from there, oh, yeah. you just told me that it was hard to find like a creative writing course. Path. Path. Yeah, I, I mean, because when I think back to being year 13, like, did, did I, I had no clue what careers were available out there, you know, like, no clue whatsoever. I had no clue about what kind of degrees there were. Don't you have, like, um, a careers advisor at your school? Yeah, but I don't Useless? think she was very good. <laughs> I see Sorry. <laughs> She, um, I don't, she was not um, invested in my future. Damn. No, and I, I think a lot of, I think that's the issue a lot of the times is that people in that position don't realise how important it is that they have to be invested in every student's future, you know, like, and to want the best for them, mm. to imagine the best for them and to help them to achieve it. Like, I went to her and I said, all I found in my search for a creative writing path was the Masters of Creative Writing at Victoria University. I don't know. I guess we didn't have Google then. It was hard to find all that stuff. Yes. What year is this? This is, this um, is like... 90s? No. Oh, beginning oh. 2000s? Yeah. Yeah. So I know there were computers there, but I didn't really know how to use them yeah. either. And, <clears throat> and that was all I found. And so when, when I had my interview with her and she was like what are you wanting to do? I was like, oh, well, I found this Masters of Creative Writing. And she's like, oh, well, you can't do that. You need to get a bachelor's first. And that's all she told me. And I was like, oh, I don't even know what that means. Like, what does a bachelor mean? What does... <laughs> yeah, so I just had no eh? clue. Yeah. And it would have been helpful at that point if I, you know, was trying to imagine my life differently, which I'm not because I'm happy where I am. But um, for her to have been like, okay, well... This is what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. These so that's steps. this next level where you have to start here. This is what it's called. This is what it means. This is how long it takes. This is what you need to get into that. And in order to get to this next level, you probably have to achieve something like this. You know, like, it's not hard to spell that out. No, it's not. It's really yeah. not. That sucks. <clears throat> yeah, but it was okay. I mean, it did mean that I fell into the Bachelor of Arts because I had no other clue what to do. Right. And um, failed. You failed. Yeah, I dropped out after a year because it uh, it was at Auckland Uni and it just wasn't for me. Right. And the Bachelor of Arts is so, um, like, you you taste a little bit of everything. And so if you don't create your own um, direction and momentum, the degree doesn't provide that for you. So it's great if you're oh. like, oh, I want to taste a little bit, but I know at this point I'm going to focus in this area. Yes. But I was like... <laughs> Don't know what I want to I had do. no clue. I had yeah. no clue. So I was doing like Italian film on screen, <laughs> yeah. Spanish, which I loved. But um, 
oh, some kind of like Greek writer, I can't even remember. But I, I think I passed my first semester and then by the second semester I must have failed like more than half of my courses. Right. And so you just dropped out. And so I left, yeah. And then I went, and then I thought about the, what is it, playwright and directing at Unitech? Is that what it's called? Yes, yes, writing and directing. Writing and directing. So I realised there was that course. And Nora had done a year at Unitech and was having a great time. So I was like, oh, well, Unitech, let's let's have a look. Nora's my wife. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but um, getting into Unitech, I failed as well. I failed my bursary. Right. So like, you know how that's supposed to be, you have to pass your bursary yeah. to get clean into a degree? Nah, man. I, f- I missed my bursary by just a few points. So I was put on what's called a probation period. Right. Where I had to be above grade, I think a B level for like six months. And then I was off probation, which I managed to do, but I'm sh- sure yeah. you didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> No, I had my bursary, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But it's so good that they had that kind of opportunity available, that it wasn't just like a shut door. Because yeah. so often it's just a shut door if you don't meet whatever criteria. That's right, mm. yeah. But I mean, I had to do that. Um, so did you apply for that course? I did. And we went in for like a weekend workshop and I had to send in like work or whatever. And um, um, I was successful like really successful too they said that given my experience that I could go straight into second year because Whoa. of my like research in the library and writing my own plays and stuff wow and winning the competition twice yes. I won it twice wow yeah um, but then at the beginning of the year I don't know what happened the universe aligned or uh, I, it must have aligned and I just threw it all in the bin. And in what way? I, I moved to Wellington for sure. a few months, not even that long, but long enough to miss that um, start date and to just like not accept my place on the program. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is after you knew that you were going to the course. Yeah, yeah. Why, why was this? I don't know. I don't know. Wanted to rebel for a little bit? I have no idea. I, I'm... Yeah, I guess I just... How old are you at this, um, at this age? I should have... I must have been 18, 19. Mm. 19. Yeah, maybe a little bit of rebelling, a little bit of not um, studying for a while. Okay. A little bit of... Finding yourself. Yeah, I sure. don't know. Yeah. I just... I mean, I just drank a lot, really. No, no, no. Yeah. Sure. I stayed with my uncle and I drank a lot. Down in Wellington? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and then I couldn't get a job, just like a retail job, couldn't get a job. And so I came home. And so then that would have been um, this in time for second semester of the year that I should have started. I had lost my place on that program or would have had to, I don't know, I didn't even follow it up. Um. And then at that point was thinking about journalism because it was a, a, a compromise between creativity and, you know, earning money. Sure. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. yeah. And did you follow through with the journalism idea? Well, I, I enrolled in the Bachelor of Communications at Unitech and I did pass, but uh, changed my mind towards the end of the degree. 
um, because I'd done a research project on the way that Māori are represented in mainstream media. Okay. And I find it really depressing. Okay. And yeah. why is that? Because... Uh, misrepresentation, We are misrepresented, obviously. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we are framed in a very specific, one-dimensional way. By the mainstream media. Yeah. Is that changing, do you think? Well, you saw the staff thing, did you see that? No, sorry. Um, so staff apologised for their racist representation of Māori for the last, like, hundred and something years. Okay. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, they they looked closely at like one area and um, the way that they were represented rep- the way that they had represented in Maori in um, child abuse stories right give me what, an example just for our listeners just so they can get an idea of what misrepresentation looks like um so it's where it's like um, like call like the way that you describe somebody like um, a deviant or a youth, you know, like yes. the, the the way that Certain you might talk adjectives. about, yeah, a, like a a person who had committed a crime, um, uh, the way you might or who you choose to, um, what sources you use in the story, like do you go to like a, a policeman to um, to I don't know you get a quote just like what kind of quotes you get from people and what they might suggest about a group uh, I'm explaining this really badly <laughs> sorry it's okay I'm trying really hard to follow I know I know, I know. Let, me, let me just let me just regather is it the way they'll always describe Māori in their articles yeah so the the example that stuff um, used, they so they had referred to uh, child abuse stories that um, were relating to Maori children, like in the years since that happened, say so like thirty years, like hundreds more times than they would um, bring up stories about child abuse of Pākehā kids. Even though it is happening yeah, in that community yeah. as well. Totally, totally. Um, so if you think about, so there'll be some stories to you, that you might have in your, like, kind of memory, child abuse stories. There's a few, yeah. Yeah. So those are in your memory because they've been brought up over and over and over. And many of them are probably Māori. And, and they counted how many times they'd, like, referred back to stories. And it's, like, hundreds more times, you know, that they referred back to these stories in your brain that you can remember. Yeah. Um, and we're just like, who are these Pākehā kids getting abused? We don't even know. We don't even have a name in our head because they weren't referred back to And therefore the stigma that child abuse yeah. is a Māori problem. Exactly. This is what we're talking about. Exactly. Already. And so that, I mean, I find that heartbreaking. Mm. You know, so there are like Māori people, Māori young people trying to construct this idea of who they are in the world and how they can contribute positively. Mm. And that's all they're seeing. You know? And so they're like, is that who I am? Is that all I can be? Like it limits... Or shape negatively shapes. I'm not sure, but yeah. Their identity and how they feel exactly. about themselves as well, and but also the expectations it, of what they should be and what they shouldn't be. Mm. 
And so then it's also influencing like careers counsellors who are watching this going, that's all Māori can be. So when that girl sits down and she's like, I want to do a master's, I'm going to be like, I don't think you can do it because you're Māori. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, the, that's, great that's the heartbreaking that takes a full cycle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I find that, I found that really painful yes. of a realisation. And so when I finished, I probably was a bit lost after I finished my bachelor's and then I fell into teaching. Right, and yeah. you were teaching? Uh, bridging education students. So, so students, students leaving high school, trying to going into yeah. university, and you're teaching this at university. Mm-hmm. So therefore, are you a lecturer? Yeah, well, I'm a senior lecturer now, actually. You are a senior lecturer yeah. now, but back then... Back then I was a lecturer. You were a lecturer. Yeah. How old are you at that time? 21. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that... A bit young. Isn't that quite young for a lecturer? Um, that's probably, probably. That's a great achievement. Yeah. It was luck. It was definitely luck. I mean, I um, just, I relieved for one of my colleagues still. I was, I like relieved for her once. And this is like after I'd finished my degree. And I enjoyed it. Mm. And the students gave me positive gave positive feedback about me to her mm. and so when they were looking for a lecturer she put me forward right yeah I don't think that's luck that's luck man I think things happen for a reason I think oh, def- I, sort of I definitely think things happen there for was a that like alignment happening like it's hard to see it you know when I dropped when I changed my path after high school and then after playwriting you know it's hard to see that but like looking at it now I'm like I'm definitely where I was meant to be yes I I it totally makes sense that I'm a teacher yes yeah um around this time or somewhere around this time you had the superstar no one is Amorangi <laughs> <laughs> I've known Tui for a while and her son Amorangi is pretty awesome um pretty so good. when when did you have Amorangi in my second year of my degree, I think. Sure. Yeah. And how old are you then? There I th- say at 20? 20, yeah. 20. Yeah, 20, and then I just turned 21. Yeah, after he was born. But I don't know if I'm right about at this stage, but are you a solo mum at this stage? Are you raising him by yourself? Yeah. You are. And you're also studying your bachelor's. Yeah. And you're living in South Auckland. And... Catching however many trains it took to get to Mount Albert, yeah. To do your degree. But I had um, the mum was sure. like stepped in and just helped me so that I could finish my degree, yeah. It must have been pretty hard though. Like you would have had days where, because obviously be, as a student you're normally pretty broke. Um, mm. Would you have times where you thought you'd want to quit your degree and just get a job and no? No. No. Um, I remember when I first found out I was pregnant, I was really, like, uh, worried about what people would be thinking about me. Yeah. Um, Only those negative idiots you're worried about. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but, sp- but you're, 20, said, you're 20 as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and quite vulnerable. Uh, you know, the stereotypes of, like, Māori and Pacific girls, you know, you get yeah. knocked up, like, at whatever age. But I, yeah. Um, so I was really worried about that. Um, but I didn't... 
I didn't think that I would drop out. Mm. No, and mum was like really upfront right from when I found out that she would be there to help me. Mm. Yeah, and so I just didn't even doubt that she would provide the help that I needed so that I could finish, which mm. meant, you know, babysitting. Wow. Yeah. And so you had Amorangi and you're also doing your degree. Um, and then you end up graduating, becoming a young lecturer, all while being a solo mum. Yeah. Yeah. But a solo mum, like, raising her kid with, like, the tribe, pretty much. Tight-knit you know, like, support. At that point, Dad hadn't been living at home, but he moved home to be with us. Sure. Yeah. That's great, though. You know what I mean? That, um, mm. I think especially Māori and Pacific Island people can always have that village around yeah. that always supports people normally and hopefully in situations. So I know sometimes it doesn't happen, but majority of the time, you know, we sort of step around our family and try and help them out, even though people are going through different things. Mm. And yeah. he is an amazing young man today. Yeah, he's a really cool kid. Man. Man. How old is he now? 14. <sighs> Mike. And, like, the, it's so surreal when you think about yourself being a certain age and then you see your children reach that kind of age point. It's like, I could not imagine Amurangi going to the library and studying how to write a play. <laughs> yes. He's yeah. so, but, then, yeah. but then what he's doing is, you know, He's got different dreams, different ambitions, and I know that he's pushing himself in different ways. But yeah. it's so interesting to get to this point. And you know you can compare yourself to your kids when they become older? Yes. I don't know. I never really did it when he was younger. I don't know why. But now I can really see, like, maybe I just remember myself more at this at the age that he is now. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I was 14, I was definitely not going to the library and writing plays. <laughs> I know that for sure. Um, <laughs> what were you doing? What was I doing? I was in Tonga. I was like too busy worrying about. Um, I wanted to be in the band, but I have zero musical talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you want to play? I don't know. I just thought being in the band would be cool, mm. you know. And I also wanted to like make the rugby team at high school, but I was too little. I was too short. But see, like these are the same <laughs> things. This is like having. You had goals. Yeah, I didn't achieve those goals. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I had goals. <laughs> um, so Amorangi today, I saw a photo of him yesterday on your oh, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Very stunning. 14-year-old. Yeah, he definitely looks like a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went to become a young lecturer. And then what happened? What did you do after that? Because it would have taken a while for you to decide to do your master's, is that right? Yeah, I didn't do it straight away. So I, but well, because I decided to stay in teaching, I had to get a teaching degree. So I got a um, graduate diploma in higher education, and I think that took me about three years. That was just kind of the ins and outs of how to be a good teacher, how to plan well, you know, what to include, how to meet the diverse needs of students. That was good. And... And then the masters came about because when when you have only one income, like you struggle, <laughs> sure. and and so I I moved out of home when I got my job at Unitech. I moved into Mount Albert, so it was just me and Amurangi, and it was good. Like we had a good life, and I worked really hard. And how old is Amurangi? 
So he would have been one, I think, when we moved out of home. And you were 21? Mm. And you're paying your own rent, your own bills? 22, yeah. Yeah. That's very independent. Oh, yeah, I just totally leapt into independence from, yeah. like, living at home. But then, you know, I, I, I leapt into a full-time job, like, full-time. Yeah. Not permanent. Like, I think I was fixed term for a couple of years. But full-time good wage job. Yeah, So that's cool. Yeah, it was doable. But I couldn't get ahead. And I thought that the only way that I was going to be able to, like, buy a house or, like, get ahead was, and this was through seeing other people do it, move over to like um, Bahrain or Dubai and teach English there mm-hmm. because you um, higher pay higher pay you don't pay for accommodation and so that was the only I mean at the time I was just like that's the only way I'm going to be able to buy a house you know like me on my own with my like single single person wage that's the only way I'm going to be able to buy a house so I, I, that's that was the impetus for starting the masters right yeah would you need a master to go over to Bahrain? To, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'd, I'd known someone who had done it. And she said, like, this is great to her, you know, lots of money, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for someone at 21 to be thinking about buying a house is um, pretty cool though as well. It means you had, like, real secure goals. Well, see, like, house, oh, I'm not sure. Because uh, think about house prices now. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I probably should have just, like, got a mortgage at that age. Yeah. Jeez, I would be so well off. But like actually, I've been thinking about this because I still haven't bought a house, but it's something we're talking about now. Um, and you know, it's part of how our experience limits our ability to envision a future or whatever, whatever. So, you know, like I, we grew up in a state house. We went from state house to state house. Um, uh, just like trying to picture owning a home is just like really surreal for right. me. Right. Like it's, I'm st- it's starting to become more real. Like, and at the, even at that age where I enrolled into the masters, you know, I, you know, I was like thinking this is the only way I'm going to be able to buy a house. But I didn't sit down and nut out the logistics of how to buy a house because it's all just foreign. You know, of course. I'm like, this is what is this world? This is a different planet. But I thought I was trying to provide a secure and happy positive life for Amorangi and so mm. you know that was either of your parents own a house right no. so this is I guess where sometimes where privilege comes into it eh? yeah. where certain people that are raised with um, their parents already owning houses and stuff they're already brought up knowing this is what you yeah. do this so is regardless how you of whether or not they get like, like financial help they have this like knowledge of yes. the whole system yeah. that um, just that they're born with, yeah, and is told to them by their parents as well about how to use money and how to save for a house and why it's mm. important to have a house and also just that luxury of that generational wealth that gets yeah. passed down. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? It's kind of cool though because it creates a hunger in people like you and I mm. that don't really come from like a background of privilege, but have the idea and have the focus of wanting to create that for our children to pass down to their children. Yeah, for sure. It creates like a real hunger. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah, as soon as Amorangi was born, like my desire to, to create a positive life for him was just so strong. And that determined everything else that I did, pretty much. Like, you know, I mean, even just from hearing me today, you know, I flailed around a bit after high school 
And then after he was born, it was like full-time job, graduate diploma in higher education, masters. You know, like it was real set and real... Sure. Structured. Structured, because yeah. it was all about... Yeah, it was this all about This idea him. of wanting to succeed at the end. Mm. Mm. Yours is such an important story to you because there's so many people that are listening right now you know what I mean, that might be solo moms or might be young mothers that think that it's impossible to one day become a doctor. You're sitting here right now living proof that you can be. You totally can be. Yeah. Do you feel like that? I Probably do. Not. No, I do. Like, I feel like... Um, like, I think the doctor thing, the doctor thing, <laughs> matters more to the community than it does to me at the moment. Like, like I mean... I've been I've been trying to get I've been trying to get new jobs, and I keep flashing my doctor title around, but nobody's hiring me. I just think it's really hard in the like at universities right now. Right. But um, but what I am is like an example, and I realize that, and I and I kind of like I feel that more, like I feel that benefit more than I do, you know, to my like individual self sure like, I didn't get a pay rise <laughs> <laughs> damn it I know what do what do doctors earn same as everybody else I didn't get a pay rise oh shit yeah yeah so I mean but I do realise that when I walk across the stage next year hopefully being knock on wood doesn't yeah. get cancelled again that I'm a brown face walking across the stage wearing that hat that damn special straight. hat that hardly anybody gets to wear I'm a, yeah, and I and that's that means something, you know. Just even visually, that means something. That means something to somebody in the audience. It means something to the teachers. I don't know, but it means something. It means a hell of a lot. Yeah, it means a hell of a lot for people in the audience that have gone to the sport, like their other family members that are there to get degrees and stuff. To see like a brown face walk across that stage and get a PhD mm-hmm. is like it's a moment. It's it's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's you succeeding one of your goals. Yeah. Um, I understand what you're saying though about the PhD probably more for the community than it is you know self-accepting it as well yeah Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is so you're a solo mom for quite a while Um, about nine years I think before I met Paul about nine years that's gotta be that's gotta be a bit rough but I guess also you get kind of used to it as well hmm yeah, you do get kind of used to it. And, you know, like you create, well, I created, I, I consciously created the kind of life that I wanted my son to have, you know, like um, extracurricular activities, being involved with the community, being involved with like the board of trustees and stuff and and keeping and gathering really good friends that, you know, are like good role models, good positive people. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it was... Okay, there were moments of financial struggle, like, real struggle. Times where I was like, oh, my God, do I have to get a second job? Mm. <laughs> but but partly that was down to my poor financial management as well, like, debt. Many of us, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's but okay. It was it's okay. bad, like... Right. But, I mean, that's stuff that we didn't learn either. That you know, is like, stuff nobody that... Nobody told me. Nobody said, hey... You know when those people at the university come up to you and they're like, why don't you get a credit card? Well, you don't have a job? You should still get a credit card. We can give you $500. <laughs> Someone be like, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. 
yeah. don't do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or they're like, oh, you got a credit card? Get an overdraft. There's so many things <laughs> that are not taught in schools. No, that that should be taught in schools. Real life no. practical things, yeah. don't you think? Stuff like parenting, um, stuff Budgeting. like managing your financials. Mm. If I had known some of the stuff, man. But hey. Yeah. And it's like a real, um, like, uh, downward spiral debt. It can know? be. Yeah, like if, if you, you don't. Yeah. So if you like make one bad mistake and then you make another bad mistake to like fix the other mistake and then you just, yeah, it got, it got bad there for a bit, but I've managed to get myself out of it, which is good. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you got your, you finally got your master's. Mm-hmm. And so at that point I had changed my mind about going to Bahrain. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So <clears throat> like I, I was really upfront with the, um, my family about what my kind of plans were or ideas were. And mum and dad were like so against me taking their mukpuna to Bahrain and me going to, I think, maybe, but probably more Amurangi. Um, dad bought me like a car to try and like make me stay. Wow. <laughs> really want you to stay. Really wanted me to stay. Right. Um, and I guess through that, I was just like, you know what? I don't want to go. Like, yeah. Like family's actually really important to me. Like yeah. more important than the possibility of saving up enough money for a deposit. Plus as a mum you'd be thinking about Amorangi as well and what it's like Always. for yeah. him to be growing up over there and, mm. you know, be different than being here in New Zealand. Like I would have broken so many hearts if I had done that. You would have broken so many hearts. Yeah, like Amorangi's heart, Koro's oh, heart, right, Nanny's right, right. heart, right. my heart. Like right. yeah. So a good decision. Pardon me. That's right. <laughs> So it's a good yeah. decision to stay. Yeah, definitely. And I had also um, really enjoyed the research process. Partly. I mean, it's hard at times. Like, the master's is a real shock to the system after doing a bachelor because um, you're kind of left to flounder. Right. You have and to it's your first sustained project, like research project, and you just have to figure it all out by yourself. And it was hard. It was really hard. But um, getting through that and then kind of feeling like I'd made some positive contribution through my research, yeah, I was hooked. For your master's, you have to create a thesis, is that right? Mm. What was your thesis on? So that was looking at the construction of Māori identity um, in female tertiary students. Okay. Yeah. So I've, um, because I'm looking at identity and because I, I use a real, like, qualitative is the academic word but it's like um, the safe personal method in my research um, I choose to work with women because I don't know if I would be able to do that with men you mm. know to like analyze a man's data yeah. and make some kind of call about his identity like there's just so much I don't know about what men experience like True. I know that <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, how long did that take to complete? Three years. Mm. It should take two years, but I had to, because I was working, I think I cut down to 0.8, but I didn't, like, that was all. So that's practically full-time. And um, you have to do, I think, like a year's worth of papers or courses. Right. And then you're meant to do your thesis. Yeah. And so to do the papers and to fit them into my schedule I had to split that up over two years it's a lot of um, self t- 
time management mm. involved in this Lots. and a whole lot of um, you working alone on a thesis. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a thesis, just for me because I'm a dummy, and I've never done a thesis before, but how many words or how long does it... I'm not going to do one. <laughs> I'm not going to do one. Um, how long does it need to be? How long was yours? Wow. About 40,000 words? 20 pages. 40 to 60. Well, I don't know. That's a lot of pages. It's like, it's like this thick. Do you ever um, but just have a wine at night and go through and just flick through it? <laughs> nighttime I reading. Look at it. But that's one sided. <laughs> like, that's one sided, and that included like um, interviews and stuff in it. Like, in, like a whole transcribed interview. Very in depth. Which is long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think about 40,000 words. I'm not sure. But I, I, yeah, I don't even look at it. Looks pretty. Yeah, hard to find the time as a solo mum to do that, especially when you've got a kid running around and you've got to take them to school, you've got to feed the kid as well. Mm. You've also got a, a lot of time as well to do your own research and your own stuff. And you're working as well at the same I time, have. is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in my masters, I really took advantage of like um, the noho wananga they have at AUT because I did my masters at AUT as well and so they have like once a month um, they'd have their marae open for people to come in and stay for the weekend and they'll feed you and right. so I went to that practically every weekend like every every month during my thesis year because it gave me um, time away from Amorangi to like write concentrate yeah mm. yeah because you need that sustained yeah. Concentration to to write well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old were you when you finally got your masters? Oh, I don't even know. Late twenties? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And I had a break between my masters and my PhD, so it must have been like late twenties. Yeah. Um, once you got your masters, you're still working at Unitech. Yeah, I've been there this whole time. <laughs> well, you're a senior lecturer now. Yeah. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take for you to decide to do a PhD? Uh, so in my master's, I created a really positive relationship with my um, supervisor, mm-hmm. Professor Sigrid Norris. Um, and she, like, as soon as my master's was finished, she was like, you're going to do a PhD too. I was like, am I? She's like, yeah, you are. You are. You can have a break, but I'll cut. you're going to do a PhD. I was like, okay. And I had a break and then she emailed me <laughs> after a few years. And she's like, it's time. <laughs> wow. And how old are you just when you started? Oh, how old am I? Maybe 29. I yes. don't know, 30. Wow. Yeah, 29 maybe. Do a lot of people like um, start PhDs and never finish them? I think so. Yeah. I would say, I have never looked at the specific like, percentage, but I would say so. It's a long um, commitment. It's like four years. Three, I think you can do it in three. I mean, you can do it in however long if you've got the time, but four years, because you have a year to like create your proposal and then you have to present it to like two markers right. and then they give you feedback and at that point it's either accepted or not as a project right. 
and then um, you've got three years from when it's accepted to complete the project. Yeah. So it's a long time. Yeah. And life happens. 100%. Because mm. during that time you got married. But yeah. Yeah, we got married. I think I might have met Paul not long after starting yeah. the PhD. Yeah. And then we were married two years. After two years, yeah. So definitely while we're in the middle of it. After being like a solo mum for so long, yeah. just of Amorangi, um, what was the transition you found, like, you know, married and someone else comes into your life? It is so hard. Right. <laughs> right. Going into that, yeah. like, Because um, you've got your own, I guess you've got your own parenting. way of doing things, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really do. Yes. And my way is, like, completely the right way. Like, I'll just have you know. I'll have, like, the whole world know okay. that my way is the right way. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure Paul's listening to this right now, <laughs> nodding his head. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. Compromising. A lot of compromising, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And then you had a beautiful little girl. Yeah. Little Miss Kira. Yes. So she was born... What is she? She's like one and a bit. Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But she was born as well during the time that you were doing your PhD. So now you've got a husband, two kids, one that's very, very young. Yeah. A job. Still, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had taken time off. So I think... For my PhD, I was lucky towards the end of it, maybe the last two years, um, that because I had worked so hard um, with my master's and then after completing my master's, like published some articles and book chapters and done everything that you're meant to do as an academic, I had proof to like the institution to support my being given time to do research. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Usually, if you teach at, like, a degree level, so, like, level five or higher, you get given, like, point two of research, so that's, like, what, a day? A day a week to do research. But because I teach at levels three and four, I don't qualify for that. And so I I, I built up enough proof, though, to be like, look, obviously I'm a researcher and I'm committed to being an academic. So, you know, give me some time. That I was given time. Um... So I wasn't working full-time for, like, the last two years of it. And then I think I also got a scholarship. That's right. I got a scholarship from Ngāpāi o Te Maramatanga, um, which paid me a living... I don't know what you call it. It paid me some money. A living wage to afford you the time to not have to go to a job, but be able to concentrate on your PhD and pay your bills. So I got that after a year of, after my proposal was accepted. And it was good because at that point I had been working full time doing, getting my proposal ready. And I was just like, I can't do this. Like, I just can't. Handle everything. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't work every night until like 11 o'clock on like academic stuff. I just don't want to. Um, I don't want to either. No, <laughs> no, you are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not for everybody. <laughs> uh, and then I got a scholarship, which was a real blessing because it meant I could really cut down at Unitech. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So yeah, when Kira was born, I had ma- I had made it so that maybe I wasn't working at all. 
or I was like working hardly anything but studying full time. And I was getting towards the end of the thesis by the time that she was born. Like I might right. have had like two chapters left. Right. I had done all the data collection, um, all the analysis, and had written up like three quarters of it. Yeah, and your data collection was based on a series of subjects, mm. which were like six women, is that right? Yeah, six women. And you followed them across like a period of how long? It varied. Right. Um, so it depended on them. Yeah, so um, I like need a burp. I really don't want to burp into the mic. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I, like if I met like a potential participant and I was like, hey, this is my project, uh, are you interested? And then I'd just be like, let me know when I can come and observe you, do your creative thing, and I'll also interview you. And so that really varies across like... Um, practice you know so like I worked with uh, poets playwrights uh, visual artists and dancers and so like for example with dancers they're um, like they might be working for a production and then have a break for ages you know right. yeah. so yeah I, so they've got no work and so therefore mm. you can't work with them yeah with one of my participants I think it was over like two years we were collecting data together right. at different times just coming in and out of her life yeah so I, I was really appreciative of that um, how generous they were all were with their time and themselves yeah it's strange it's almost like this you know like you rely on people's generosity of time and self 100% yeah and that's the same with doing the kind of research that I do mm. I'm reliant on people's generosity yeah did it always go smoothly with all of them or yeah yeah it did thankfully mm. but I'm really conscious because what happened if one of them was all of a sudden like a year and a half into and they're like I don't want to do this anymore well then you just respect that and my masters that happened I started right. off with three you want to slap them though for wasting your time not at all. You can't really. You can't because you're like so indebted to them already. You know, you're like, you know what? Thank you for that's yes. fine, and then you just make it work with what you have. Right. Yeah. But no, it went really smoothly. But like, I, I'm, I'm really conscious of uh, creating, like, a positive, respectful relationship with people that I work with when I'm researching, because especially when you're examining identity, like they are the holders of that knowledge, and so like, who am I? I'm just. I'm just coming in to observe and <laughs> I don't know I guess they think they feel a bit special because they're being made a subject and you are following them I think there's uh, I think there is that too yeah yeah, yeah it is uh, yeah and no um, when you work with other people who have um, done postgraduate study before too they they're kind of doing it from a place of I know how hard it is to get participants so I can help you here yeah, yeah. I've done like however many research projects since I was, yeah. I was like, yeah, you need a participant and I fit the bill, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. um, now you said to me at the beginning that one of the reasons why you did um, the thesis that you did do on your doctorate was to do with yourself a bit as well mm -hmm. and your own sort of cultural identity um, relating back to yourself as like Tongan Māori Pākehā. Did completing your PhD give you any sort of satisfaction in that sort of sense? Oh, that's a really good question. 
No, <laughs> I guess yes, not. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, because one of the findings that I have, that I wrote about, and I'm not the first person to talk about it, but is this idea of fluid identity. What is so that? It's just where you, like, so, like, I move in and out of these different ethnic identity aspects and that moving in and out of it is good and fine and acceptable and positive, you know? Like, rather than um, those kind of ideas that existed before of, like, this is what it looks like to be a Māori, this is what it looks like to be a Tongan, and um, if you don't meet those criteria, then you are not, uh, you know... It's black and white. Yeah. So, like, that kind of idea, it's shifting anyway, but, like... But I found um, in my research that, like, the participants that I had, they were producing these fluid identities, mixing of different ethnicities and different experiences, like being New Zealand-born compared to Pacific-born, and and producing their creative work from this place of this acceptance. They were making things better for future generations. So these, sorry, these subjects obviously that you were following, they're of mixed. Yeah, it happened that way. It happened that way. Like I didn't purposely do that, but it did happen that way. Right. Yeah. So were some of them battling a little bit with it themselves? Yeah. To which side they're supposed to lean to or what they're supposed to know about this side and what they didn't know about this side? Yeah. Yeah. So there was, they had um, their own experiences within their like communities, which made them question or doubt. Um, But then creative practice had been a way for them to figure it out. Sure. Um, But then it also becomes a place for them to share that with um, the wider public because they're performers in different ways, you know? Um, And that through sharing it, they're making things better. Like, for, like, the little girl who's sitting in the audience watching the dance, like, of, like, a half-caste Samoan girl mixing hip-hop and Siva Samoan, like, that's that's pretty powerful for that, like, little Samoan girl in the audience, you know? Be like, yeah. oh look, look at me on the stage. Yeah. 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 So and kind of realizing that, like the power of that fluid identity and the oh, kind of responsibility we have to accept ourselves and portray it positively back to future generations. It definitely has helped me to stand stronger in who I am. Like I'm less apologetic now, do you know? I'm, like I, I, what did you used to be apologetic about? About not knowing. Right. Like not knowing how to speak Māori or not knowing how to speak Tongan or mm. not knowing how to um, act on a certain... Event. Event. Yeah, Cultural absolutely. Cultural event. Yeah. Um, so when you were growing up, right, Yeah. how much did this sort of stuff sort of eat away at you? Uh I'd say it was pretty significant. And especially like, you know, when you have family seem to be less accepting of you because of um, your ethnicity. Right, right. Yeah. Do you think it's a common theme amongst a lot of um, either mixed race uh, Pacific Islanders or mixed race Maori 
here in New Zealand that they grow up feeling like that? I think I think so, but I do think it's changing. Yeah. Mm. Do you think it's also the same for like like um, full-blooded New Zealand-born Pacific Islanders? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they they write about like the going home, this idea of going home for New Zealand-born Pacific Islanders. Right. And you know, like so, returning to their island, um, from where their family comes from. And this, like, just feeling displaced or not accepted there and and then how jarring that is mm. because it was always, you know, this idea of going home, mm. you know, yeah. It's different for me growing up. Oh, yeah, it is different for you. Yeah. It's really interesting. Because I grew up in Tonga, but I'm obviously New Zealand, European and Tongan. However, like, um, normally in Tonga, I'd be seeing as, like, uh, Balangi Loi. Which is like fake palangi, um, yeah, oh. yeah. Right. And then sometimes when I'm here in New Zealand, I'm just seen as a Tongan. And sometimes when I tell people I'm half caste, they're surprised that oh. I have white mum. They're surprised. I've always found it really easy to flow between both worlds. That's my advantage, though. You know, like um, I pre- I understand that for a lot of like full-blooded Tongans or like other half castes. Tonga New Zealanders, it's harder to sort of cross in between, but I've always been at ease. And that's probably because I grew up over there, so I'm quite fluent with the language. Mm. However, um, what I wanted to say was like um, growing up there though, like if there were Tongans that were sent back to Tonga um, or even half-caste Tongans that came back to Tonga, um, it wasn't easy for them to come to merge straight in because they were viewed as like kind of outsiders. Yeah. For a bit, and after a while, like we became friends and stuff with some of them. But um, I always remember initially, like if American kids, American Tongans were sent back, yeah. or Australian or New Zealand Tongans were sent back, um, they'd find it quite hard to fit in, and because Tonga's already quite tight, you know who you grew up with and stuff, and it's hard to come back in. And you're not even some of them, most of them don't even speak Tongan as well, so it was always much harder for them. I can see that now looking back, but when I was growing up, it was just something that I was used to. Because mm. I think um, a lot of Tongans growing up there always viewed those coming back as more privileged and therefore that they were of a different class, of different yeah, yeah, yeah. hierarchy, um, which is obviously not always the case. Um, but yeah, it's quite different and it's interesting to hear like from your perspective, you know, what it's like on the other side of it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but you see as like people become more accepting about um, you know, being Tongan can mean so many different things. It means that, like, when, that their experience of feeling unwelcome or like not belonging, you know, it might decrease because we just will just be like, oh yeah, you, we're just all being Tongan or Maori yeah. in these different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Now that you are a doctor, PhD holder, um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what was like the, your real drive for getting that? Because obviously, like you said to me before, it means more to the community than it does to you, mm. the actual title. Um, but with that title or having that, does that give you like a different um, sort of power within the community or is there things that you can change by having that? I hope so. Um so the PhD, the decision to study it, and like my like part of my motivation behind it, yeah. um, 
was that I'm committed and I enjoy this teaching career. Right. And so in order to be like movable in this career, it's just I need it. Yeah. And so um. So having it, although my email inbox would suggest <coughs> otherwise. <laughs> <coughs> I tried to I'm down at all. <coughs> wow. Take a moment. <laughs> that's the first time that's happened. <laughs> Hence I like I just the risk choked. of like drinking and interviewing. <laughs> well, see, see, I've always heard of the risk of like eating and interviewing. Well, I was like eating it's always would a make bad too idea. much noise. Yeah. But um yeah, I've never actually choked properly during um <laughs> Podcast is the first time for everything. These are great, by the way. These are uh, Heineken Zero Zeros. Oh. Which tastes just like the real thing, but they're non alcoholic. Handy. Do you need a refill? You're good. I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just wipe my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying about what sort of power a PhD oh, right, really yeah. holds. Um, yeah, like my email inbox would suggest otherwise because I've received so many rejection emails from like jobs that I've applied for. But uh, I'm hoping Damn. it means that I can get a job at a university. Um, do you think that rejection is due to COVID at the moment? Lack partly, of job opportunity? Or do you think otherwise? I think it's partly that there are less opportunities available. <coughs> but also I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a bit confusing of an a, a applicant. So... I apply for jobs that are for um, postdocs, so like people who have recently graduated with their PhD. Right. But those are, you know, it's assumed that that person has very little teaching experience, um, has very little work experience with the university. But I have heaps. That's why I'm confusing. And that's why I think it deters people from hiring me because I'm more expensive to hire. Like I told you, I'm a senior lecturer. That's like a different rank and that's like a different pay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's partly the Mm. issue too. Like, um, yeah, I just, I'm I'm trying to get in like through the, the door. I don't know what the saying is that I'm trying to think of. But, you know, these, like, opportunities that they have for people to get their foot in the door. I'm trying to take that route, but it, but it doesn't look like I fit it. But I do because I only teach. I've only taught at level three and four, and I'm trying to teach at a high level. So I am inexperienced in that, to that extent. But, yeah, it's all just really annoying. Would you ever move overseas to a university to take you overseas? <sighs> if I had to. Yeah. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't want to. I want to stay here. I want to stay where my parents are. Um, full stop. Thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I have a job, so it's okay. Like, I have a permanent job, and I make good money, so that's not an issue. It's just about that career progression. And I think it'll happen. Yeah. At, at some point, I'm going to be like so damn impressive that they'll be like, wow, yeah, hire her. Can, hire her for her <laughs> an assistant or associate professor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, which is like mm, publishing 
articles and book chapters and I'm going to try and write a book about my PhD and presenting at whatever conferences there are in New Zealand. I don't know. I'll just, I'll just keep moving forward. Mm. Um, do you think looking at like the younger generation today, the path academically is clearer for them to attempt something like this or do you think it's just the same? I think it's the same. Like, I'm really conscious to have that conversation with every new class that I get. And even though it might be a bit boring, but I'm like, hey, guys, do you know what a certificate is? And they're like, well, kind of. I'm like, do you know what a bachelor's is? And they're like, nah. I'm like, well, here, here it is. And then I, like, draw it up on the board. I'm like, so this is the certificate, level three, level four. Um, You need this to get to here. This is a bachelor's. This will take about three years. You need this to get to here. Um, bachelor's is good enough for most jobs, but maybe you want a blah, blah, blah. Then you need a master's, which means you need this. And then I'm like, and then last year was a PhD, which is what I got. <laughs> um, you need this. And this is all up a stupid amount of years and a stupid amount of money. But <laughs> if that's the journey, that's the journey. Yeah. Did you do all this on student loan? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So yes, I have a big student loan. <laughs> yeah. But so I how many? Ended. Hold on. How many years all up from oh beginning of bachelor's through master's into PhD? How many years all up have you spent at tertiary education? Oh, okay. So we go a year at Auckland Uni, and then I did two and a half years at UniTech because I was able to cross credit, so yeah. three and a half, and then three years I think for GDHG. That's six and, and a half. And then the master's was three years. Oh. Yeah, three years. Um, And then I also did, like, this postgraduate certificate (laughs) in applied learning. Um, That was a year. And then the the PhD was four years, just over four years. How many years is that? Fourteen. And I just did a year certificate in te reo Māori. (laughs) Fifteen years. That's crazy. I've been studying a long time. But like I said at the beginning, uh, I do well in the education framework, the mainstream education framework. It's very admirable. It's something I could never do. It's something a lot of people can't, could never do. Did you like your, the Bachelor of Performing and Screen Arts? I do have a Bachelor of Performing Arts. No, but did you like doing it? <coughs> well. <laughs> I enjoyed the course itself. Um, <laughs> sometimes I think it was like, must be a little waste of time. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, the industry that I work in, it's literally just a piece of paper that says mm-hmm. that, yeah, you've got a bit of experience, that you went to school, you know, if you're the technicals, like, how to control your voice, which I obviously don't because I just choked when I tried to interview well, someone. Like how to scowl the last bit of drink in your glass. That's yeah, what you didn't do. They didn't teach me that. No. Um, but they also teach you, like, how to work characters, go into characters, mm. how to sort of colour and shade characters and stuff and good stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, oh, I also made some really lifelong friends as well, which is great. Um, but then you step out into the industry and a lot of the industry are people that didn't even go to drama school. So your piece of paper literally kind of means nothing because when you step into an audition room to audition for something, you step in there with like everyone that comes from every other background mm. and they don't care that you did three years to study a degree in this. They only care whether you're going to suit the part for their role or not. Mm. Um, so some, in some ways it puts you on a um, sort of level playing field. Other ways, like um, once you do get a role or something, you have the opportunity to then like um, 
to push it much further than someone that doesn't necessarily yeah. have the, that sort of experience behind it. So in some ways it's good. Um, I didn't like being a student. I don't right. like being a student. I don't like, like, I don't like being broke. Oh yeah. And I knew that when being I- Being busy all day and not earning any money. Yeah, mm. yeah. It kind of got to me like, you know, eating noodles and tuna and stuff and rice. And afterwards, after I finished my degree, a few, couple of years later on, I did look at doing a master's um, of arts and I went to Auckland Uni and probably inquired about it and stuff. And they told me I had to do like a postgraduate. Um, I couldn't really bear the idea of going back into being a student again. Mm. And so I was, I just, I was against the idea. And so, and I didn't have the patience, you know, to sort of sit through the academics as well. I think a lot of people right. probably don't have the patience. Um, so you've got a lot of patience, Tui. <laughs> um, but yeah, so having a degree to my name, I don't know, maybe it's the same, it's probably not the same as like how you feel about being a doctor, but it doesn't really mean too much to me because uh, my pathway has changed so many different paths since I graduated and the last sort of 17 years since I left drama school have um, ended me in a garage. <laughs> couple of mics um, <laughs> talking to you <laughs> and not getting paid for it <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but no I really love what I do now yeah. um, I do a couple of different jobs but I really love where I am at the moment um, yeah so it's different I guess like you know when you the measure of success is always like how you feel after you've come thus far in whatever journey you're on yeah. which is why I like doing this because yeah. I get to talk to people like you um, that's obviously taken like a real different route and is at the top of your field um, <laughs> and then I talk to other people as well that do other real different things yeah. but they all enjoy what they do and stuff and yeah but the message is always the same like I know that listening to this there's um, young girls and boys out in South Auckland wherever in the world that might find things hard, but have like one thing that they're passionate about, one thing that they like, and that's kind of all it takes, eh? Yeah. You have that one thing that you kind of like that you just sort of can feel inside and you just keep going with it. it I love ends that up. idea. I love the idea of um, so, something that I really believe and struggle with and explore and examine is this idea that um, you can't dream beyond what you've experienced. And so what this kind of show does is provides a shows different experiences to people so that they might be able to dream beyond their experience. So yeah, like maybe there is a little girl in South Auckland <clears throat> who doesn't know what she wants to do at the end of year 13 and she watches this and she's like, hey, look, it's totally doable to be a doctor. So that's really cool. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, it gives mm. people like uh, the chance to look at other people that are aspirational they can mm. aspire to be like or to achieve the same as and inspire them to like, you know, Man. continue that. Um, to me, that's what podcasts should be. Yeah. Like podcasts should always be something that stimulate you mentally and create like the idea or spark something in your mind that, hey, I could do this. Or like, um, I might be really good at that. And that's how this came about, mm. you know, like just listen to stuff and I thought about it and I was like, Mm. Give it a go, that. Mike. Give it yeah, a go. Yeah, totally. And so I did. Yeah. I really like the first two. <clears> oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
no, I really enjoyed them. I thought they were really interesting. And I, I, I totally want to get into local politics too. Like local Kevin. politics? Like Kevin? I've been following in Kevin's footsteps. Mm. Yeah. Well, next, as he uh, sees it, next it's not... round, yes. he's going to be like running up against me. For real? <laughs> Maybe. I don't wow. know, what is it? In like two years? Maybe. I don't know. I... We'll see. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. He doesn't see it like that. He doesn't see it like being in politics as per no, se. He sees it as just trying to have a positive voice in his community, which I guess a lot of them do, hopefully. You know what I mean? That's a good way to see your role like that. Yeah. Is if you just want to contribute positively to your community and try and give local businesses and stuff the best start and young families. Yeah, because um, they determine a lot of like funding, where, where funding goes, and especially into like creative um, community projects. Yeah. I've had a little look into it. Yeah. Um, so you obviously live in Papakura district. Mm-hmm. How much do you love Papakura? How much do I love Papakura? Ooh, I got a bit of a bit of a tense relationship with Papakura. I think. Bit of a <laughs> tense relationship with Papakura. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, it's okay. It's trying. <laughs> Why is it trying? Because you've spent a lot of years. A lot of time. A lot of years of Papakura. I've seen it change so much since when we first moved in. Yes. Um, into the area, you know, it was real town and country. I mean, they had, I mean, did they even still have that festival, the town and country day? This, they used to have that like every year. Okay. Yeah. And it was like farm animals on the street. And because it was, it was the outskirts of Auckland. Yes. That's yeah. Right. But it's not anymore. No. Like it's, it's like, it's like, it's like a town well city. Within. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It needs some. I think there are a lot of like uh, the youth needing some inspiration. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's hope something like this can inspire them. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. But there's also lots of cool community um, organisations out there as well. That I've been like looking into them because I keep thinking about you know like what can I do to give back. And yeah, there was one, I think, action education where they're doing like spoken word poetry with teenagers yes. in like South Auckland. That's cool. That's real cool. Yeah. What does the future hold for Tui? Uh, um, what do you want to do next? There's like a whole lot of different levels. Probably go on holiday. Go on holiday. <laughs> Never. Oh, I'd like to. Although I've got to wait for the prices to get back to normal around New Zealand. Got a bit crazy every Christmas. It is, yeah. Um, there's lots of things I want to do. I want to, so I want to write a book that's like kind of towards, this, that'll happen soon. Um, I want to start teaching at a higher level. I want to start supervising um, postgraduate students. Um, I want to become a professor. So like where I am, so it's lecturer, senior lecturer, associate professor, professor. Right. I want to be a professor within the next like six years. I don't know if that's doable. Um, I want to get into local politics, uh, possibly bigger. I'm not sure. Um, Why do you want to get into local politics? Uh, because I think we just need more Maori and Pacific people at like decision making tables, like right. at all decision making tables. And I think I can do it. It's, it's, it's something that my PhD affords me. It'll get me in the door, like in these student things. It'll, it'll get me onto boards of trustees. It'll get me onto other boards and then the local board and then who knows. But 
we just need diverse voices at decision-making tables and we need people who are sympathetic and empathetic towards Māori and Pacific communities. Yeah. Is that something you see not happening at the moment? Uh, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of a specific example, but... You know, decisions always get made at high level that impact us, but that we didn't necessarily contribute to the decision making. Of course. Yeah. And yeah, just like that, having this qualification does give me status in that respect, so that I can be that voice mm. if I need to. Yeah. Um, your idea of like moving into local politics. Would that be like a starting point for you to move into something bigger or are you just interested in looking after like your local district? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I can't at this point imagine anything bigger or I don't know if we're going to stay in Papakura, but um, I would like to, wherever I settle, be contributing to um, planning in the area as well as in the burp again. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> You're very ladylike. <laughs> a mic right in my face I don't want to burp into it you're the first lady on you know that right I know yeah. I didn't think I was going to be it's very cool you actually start um, after this there is some pretty good women that come straight after you awesome so January is going to be a month of some pretty strong um, females which is awesome that is awesome yeah so cool yeah yeah after everything you've achieved Right, your doctorate and everything. Okay, <laughs> you're like, here it comes. Yeah, there it is. What is here it comes this question. Um, looking back on everything that you've done, being a solo mum as well, your experiences, like both professionally and personally, mm. right? What's the best thing you've learned about yourself? Mm. Um. I know you got some pretty cool basketball skills as well. <laughs> Not at all. I got kicked off the family team. Okay. Well, I didn't get kicked off. I got pregnant, okay. but they're not letting me back on. Okay. Um, <laughs> some, like, in terms of, like, what I'm capable of. What you're capable of, yeah. What you know about yourself now that you might not have known, like, about 10 years or 50, even 15 years ago. Um, no, how to answer that question. Like... You know the spiel that you would give about yourself and then, and then like if you were selling yourself like in an interview or something? Yeah, I do know. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, I know all that stuff about myself now. Do you know, like, and I know it, like, like, sounds so up myself, but like, I, I really know what strengths, what my strengths are. Right. Definitely. Like, what are they? <laughs> yeah, for me, the word that springs to mind for me is resilience. Resilience. Resilience in the face of everything, like the ability to go through 15 years of <laughs> um, yeah. higher school education and for everything that happened to you, your personal life, like having a kid and stuff is not easy and, and doing that by yourself for nine years, to me is quite resilient. Um, mm. You tell me what you think it is for you. Um, hardworking. Yes. Yeah. Like I think that's like one of the key um kind of foundations of my being so I work really hard um, um, 
I know that something that I've learned about myself is that I I'm good at connecting with people. Like I've learned that through my teaching and through like giving presentations at conferences. It's, it's a strength that I have, like to connect with people and move them through an idea. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not scared of a challenge but then it's usually because like the challenge in my head when I picture it it's not it's not like a mountain it's 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 like steps sure up the mountain do you know what I mean and so that kind of perspective allows me or has enabled me to like achieve things achieve really cool things because I've never um, thought of something and be like no I can't do that I'm like oh yeah I can see how I can do that and so I do those steps and I achieve things along the way and I celebrate those achievements along the way and just Mm -hmm. keep moving forward yeah Um, yeah and all that like I didn't know about myself when I was younger yeah absolutely we've spoken before about like how some of the stuff that you've done should reach out to some of our youth around Aotearoa and possibly beyond Mm. I want to ask you now like um, for every other solid parent that's listening to this that has a dream or wants to do something but feels like they can't and unlike you doesn't see it as steps but does see it as a mountain Mm. that's almost impossible to climb because they're bogged down by parenting and by trying to pay the bills and all this other stuff that's going on around them what would you say to them? Um, uh, that your like your desire to create the kind of life that you want for your children will push you through to achieve what you need to achieve in order to create that life. Um, that if you can gather that village around you to do it um, because and to like accept that help without any kind of I saw this on your other one finding it hard to ask for help your other podcast but accepting help um, is not a weakness um, especially when we need it because when we accept that help and we're able to succeed it makes it you know it filters down like then people within our family are able to succeed our children are able to succeed and so it's not it's not like charity when you're accepting help it's you bring everybody with you as you move forward so yeah I guess that just like don't be afraid to accept that help from your village if you have it like if you're lucky enough to have it which I was and am Um, yeah and just don't be afraid to like dream beyond your experience too I guess that's the big one and that's I think what holds so many people back is not being able to dream beyond their experience I mean like we don't have any other PhD graduates in our family I've never seen that growing up you know but I was able to achieve that achieve beyond what I had experienced and perceived growing up and so it's totally doable and then just the other thing I'm not looking at it like a mountain you know what is that big goal okay so you've got that then what's that what's that small goal to get you there and then all those small goals will get you to the big goal accumulate yeah totally 
because I did not have a goal about getting a PhD. <laughs> yes. No, I didn't. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was the bachelor's and then it was a good life for my son and then it was being good at my job and then it was maybe trying to buy a house and then, it, you know, it, it, it was not the mountain. Yeah, it was just life and little goals. It's awesome. Is there anything else you want to say? Was the cider good? The cider was delicious, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Tui Matelao Dokati, it's been awesome having you on as a guest. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Yo, was the mic on, Mike? Mike. Turn that mic on, Mike, and pour us another one. Let's do it right, though, Mike. We feeling nice, though, Mike. Gather round, gather round. And turn that mic on, Mike. Into that mic called Mike. Yeah, garage drinks with Mike. Woo!